Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At this point, most shows are winding down. Roy is just getting started. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. So the President of the United States signed executive orders if uh, you're a citizen of Muslim-majority countries, the countries are Syria, Iran, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, Somalia, and the Sudan, you will not be entering the United States with a visa for at least four months. And uh, if you're a Syrian looking for refugee status in the United States, it's not going to happen until President Trump has decided whether admission by Syrians, of Syrians, to the United States is, quote, consistent with the national interest, and they've also suspended the U.S. refugee program for four months. Individual cases may be considered if there is religious persecution underway. And we've spoken with Bruce Lavelle, the executive director of the National Diversity Coalition for Trump, and we've spoken as well with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, Former United States Navy Lieutenant Commander, that's what we say here, Lieutenant Commander in the United States, and uh, past president of the Arizona Medical Association. He's a nuclear cardiologist. Stephen Legomsky, pre- uh, Professor Stephen Legomsky, was the chief counsel at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services during the administration of President Barack Obama. And... Uh, the professor is also a professor of uh, law at Washington University School of Law in St. Louis. Professor Legomsky, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Some legal experts argue that Donald Trump doesn't have the constitutional power to make the refugee and immigration decisions he's made this week. You disagree. Um, I think it's a very difficult constitutional question. Um, there is a law here in the United States, which says that uh, any time the president uh, determines that the admission of any class of aliens, to use the statutory language, would be, and now I'm quoting again, detrimental to the interests of the United States, unquote, uh, then the president does have the power to exclude that group of people. The problem is that um, if you exclude people on the basis of their religion, then there is a serious constitutional question uh, as to whether this violates Uh, the guarantee of the free exercise of religion. What makes it complicated here is the fact that technically, officially, uh, this is not a ban based on religion, it's a ban based on which country you are from. It's just that every one of the countries that that appears on the list that you just described uh, happens to be a Muslim-majority country. And given uh, Mr. Trump's campaign rhetoric in which he initially advocated a ban on, on Muslims, um, there could be a strong argument made that um, despite what it looks like on paper, in practice, this is really a ban on Muslims. So if I hear you correctly, I hear you saying there's going to be a court challenge or several court challenges. I would expect them, yes. So there is already at least one court challenge. Uh, what happened uh, earlier this morning 
uh, is that um, a number of people who are already on the airplane flying to the United States at the time the uh, executive order was announced landed at airports, mostly at JFK in New York, and they were detained and uh, turned back uh, on, with the idea that the executive order applies even to those of you who are already en route. The ACLU and some other attorneys were ready for this to happen, and they had a complaint already written, and it has been filed in the federal court in New York. So we'll wait to see what happens with that case. Um, how surprised are you at the decision, maybe not so much the decision, but the speed with which President Trump has taken this decision? Um, I guess I'm not so surprised at the speed. Really, all all bets were off as to whether he would follow through on some of his more extreme campaign promises. Um, so I wasn't shocked when this happened. And by the way, one thing I might add is that it, the policy is actually even more sweeping uh, than what you mentioned initially. Um, it's not only people from those seven listed countries, but no refugee admissions from anywhere in the world uh, will take place other than on a possible case-by-case basis when there's been religious persecution for the next 120 days. What happens with people from those seven countries is they're subjected to an additional restriction. They cannot come in, uh, even as uh, immigrants, even as temporary visitors, they can't come in for any reason uh, for the next 90 days. And that includes people who have been living lawfully in the United States with green cards, so-called permanent residence permits, who left the country temporarily and are now stranded as they try to come back. Uh, You've given us an outline of what the legal reality Maybe, and that'll be tested in court. But uh, but how do you see this? How do you interpret this as? How do you view it as a policy decision? I have a pretty strongly held view that this is a terrible uh, policy decision. Um, many uh, Americans, particularly, I think, are unaware of how rigorous the vetting procedure already is for anybody coming in under this program. Uh, in order to come in under the program, first of all, you're interviewed multiple times. Um, in addition to that, the documents are forensically examined. The officials will take biographic information. They'll take biometrics from you. They'll run those. Di- they'll feed those biometrics and biographic information into a whole slew of federal uh, law enforcement and intelligence databases, both here in the U.S. and, in addition, into any available databases maintained overseas by the U.S. Embassy or consulate. And all of that takes place before the person has even set foot on U.S. soil. And when the person does arrive at the airport, the vetting starts again. Uh, And all of this typically takes, oh, anywhere between a year and two years, typically, uh, to be completed. And so when you put all this together, it does seem to me that no competent terrorist would ever choose the U.S. refugee admission process as the preferred strategy for gaining entry into our territory. And that's why it seems so unnecessary. Let me move to another uh, decision announced by uh, the president. He talked about it constantly during the uh, primaries. So no one's surprised at this decision, but I'd like your thoughts, first of all, on the constitutionality or legality of it, if you will, and and then again as a policy, building a border wall between the United States and Mexico. And again, that is a decision of of the president's to make, is it not? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, there There is some dispute over whether existing law permits him to use his current resources for that purpose. I personally think that it probably does. But the harder question is whether he will be able to get the money from Congress that it would take to build it. We're talking about tens of billions of dollars, and it's not at all clear that Congress is going to want to put up that kind of money. So what I'm guessing will happen, and it is only a guess, 
is that there will be some sort of compromise where uh, a wall or some other type of fencing is built for some length of time, some length of, of border, rather, but certainly not for the entire border and nothing on the scale that I think Mr. Trump was imagining. Professor Lugomsky, how do, how do you think your former boss is reacting to all of this? Um, Difficult. I, I'm sure um, Mr. Obama is very displeased um, about this. Uh, I know he has felt all along that uh, using such exorbitant sums of money to build a wall is not particularly effective. Uh, anytime we have extended the border fencing, uh, all it has done is force people who wish to enter illegally to go further along the border and draw across into spaces that are more rugged and more precipitous. The result has been more border deaths by drowning, by dehydration, by falls on uh, rugged, precipitous canyon terrain, and so on. And in addition, if a person really wants to come to the U.S. illegally, um, probably a much easier way to do it is to come in lawfully on a tourist visa and then overstay. So I think the president felt that this was an awfully large amount of money to pay for something that wouldn't accomplish anything anyway. And yet you have tens of millions of Americans who are very much on side with President Trump's decision. Well, we have 320 million or so Americans. Um, one of the uh, regrettable things, I think, is that such a small percentage of eligible voters turned out in the last election. I think it was something like 58% of eligible voters. And of those who did vote, a majority uh, actually chose um, Mr. Trump's opponent over him. Um, so that comes out to something like 25% of the American eligible voters actually voted for him. And it's not at all clear that everyone who voted for Mr. Trump uh, favored every policy that he proposed. So it's difficult to say what the support is for the wall. From most of the polling, it appears that most of these really tough enforcement measures really don't command a majority of the American electorate. It doesn't matter so much, does it really, uh, whether a majority votes for, a majority of the population votes for one candidate or another. It didn't happen in this country when Prime Minister Trudeau became Prime Minister. The majority is often uh, decided, and I think it was in the United States on November the 8th, by the size of some of the constituencies, particularly California and New York, which are mostly Democrat, and where maybe those three or four million dollars, million dollars, yeah, those three or four million extra votes that uh, Secretary Clinton got, most of those votes would have been I think, situated in probably California and New York. Yeah, and I suppose you could say the same thing on the other side. Most of the votes that the, Mr. Trump got were situated heavily in the Deep South uh, or in the Upper Midwest. Um, so it, it is true that each person drew, proportion, drew disproportionately from particular regions. But in the United States, every person's vote is supposed to be equal, and the fact that many of the voters live in one place rather than another um, is probably less important. You've got a polarized country. You have a polarized country, don't you? We have a very polarized country, yes, and I think one of the things that most people agree on on both sides of the aisle is that we would do well to um, have more civil, constructive, thoughtful conversations with one another. I'm very envious of some of the debates that go on in Canada uh, where the uh, political discourse seems to be at a much more elevated level. Once in a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once in a while. Please hold on. Professor Stephen Legomsky is my guest. Uh, he was the, um, uh, the chief counsel at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services during the administration of President Barack Obama. We'll come back with a professor right after this. Roy may be a lot of things, but shy isn't one of them. He never backs down from a good debate. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
So speaking of a good debate, we continue to wait for the Prime Minister to uh, agree to a debate with me. We haven't heard back, apart from what I told you last weekend. We've had the last six Prime Ministers, or six of the last seven, have been guests on this program, and except for one, repeatedly so, I don't think our current Prime Minister is going to talk to me. I really doubt it. But we'll keep trying. With me is uh, Professor Stephen Legomsky, former Chief Counsel at uh, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. Uh, during the administration of Barack Obama, he's a law professor at Washington University School of Law in St. Louis. Again, uh, Professor Legomsky, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And the timing today is just, well, you'd think I had it planned. Uh, do you expect the president, Trump, to name more countries whose citizens are banned from entering the United States, such as perhaps some European nations with citizens who may have fought with ISIS or al-Qaeda, but then returned to their homelands, and now with Euro passports, could travel to the United States? You know, that's a great question. Now, and to answer it, I should point out that in the actual executive order, uh, in deciding which countries um, people, uh, people are going to be banned from, the president doesn't actually say you have to be a national of that country. It says you're from that country. So I don't know how this will come to be applied to people who are nationals of those seven countries but who are living, let's say, in Europe. Beyond that, um, it's hard to imagine that the president would extend the order to nationals of any European country generally because to do so would almost uh, guarantee that those European countries would reciprocate with similar obligations on Amer- similar restrictions on American travelers, which would be politically unacceptable. Beyond that, however, um, there are several other Middle East countries that many people were surprised not to see on the list, countries like Saudi Arabia, um, also Afghanistan, not in the Middle East, but Afghanistan, which are uh, another country in which there has been um, a real difficulty with terrorism. Pakistan, of course, another uh, such country. And so it's always conceivable that the president could extend the ban to one of those countries, but um, it's very difficult to predict. And very in, well, he isn't inconsistent. He's very inconsistent as far as uh, Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan is concerned, certainly, or are concerned. I would have expected them to be on the list as well. I, I would have also. I'm, I'm not sure why that was the case. But the only similar example I can think of in recent years was in the, after, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Uh, President Bush issued a list of 25 countries uh, whose nationals would be required to register through this special procedure. Uh, the 25 countries consisted of 24 Muslim-majority countries plus North Korea. Uh, the program was largely ineffective for several reasons, so they canceled it after a few months. Um, but that's the only... Uh, analogous example in modern times that I can think of. Did uh, President Obama make executive decisions involving refugees and immigration, which Republicans wanted to challenge, or maybe determining the number of Syrian refugees allowed into the United States? Um, the Republicans are very unhappy with President Obama's uh, willingness to admit, uh, I think it was 10,000 uh, Syrian refugees. They weren't questioning the legality of that because the statute makes very clear that it's up to the president and the president alone to decide how many refugees will come in and from where. But on policy grounds, um, I would think it's fair to say that the majority of Republicans in Congress uh, were unhappy with that decision. What was the most challenging case for you to take on uh, as the uh, chief counsel of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Mostly I dealt with lots and lots and lots of very specific esoteric uh, issues as to which the statute was ambiguous. Um, 
I have to think hard to think of a good example of, a, of an especially demanding case that stands out. Um, can I come back to that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Are, are there limits on immigration decisions a president may take unilaterally? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, in the U.S., unlike most of the parliamentary democracies, uh, Congress has spelled out the immigration laws in minute detail. Our immigration statute uh, now runs more than 600 pages. The result of that is that while there is a good deal of discretion remaining in the executive branch, it's much more limited. And so, for example, in the U.S., unlike in most countries, uh, Congress has specified exactly how many people we will take for family reunification, uh, broken down by subcategory, how many people we will take on the basis of their occupational qualifications, uh, and so on. Uh, the refugee system is a, is a major exception where they've given that discretion to Congress. But most of those uh, policies are really determined by Congress, which also lays out the precise criteria for who is allowed to come in under these various programs and under what circumstances. At the beginning of our uh, interview, you mentioned the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, has uh, started a, already started or filed a case against uh, the president's decision on uh, on the refugee and uh, and visa issue. Um, how's that going to be? And we have only a minute, uh, Professor Legomsky. How's that fundamentally going to be fought? Is it going to is the argument going to be made that the president has made his decision based solely or mostly? On, uh, on the fact that these are Muslim mostly countries. You know, I, I'm sorry to wimp out on that question, but the truth is that uh, the complaint was filed only this morning, and I haven't yet seen it, so I'm just guessing. But my guess would be uh, that the argument is that either the executive order itself was unlawful because it was motivated by religious discrimination. I'm just guessing that that's the argument. Or possibly the argument might be that even if the executive order would otherwise be lawful, uh, it would be a violation of due process to apply it to people who are already en route to the United States at the time it was issued. Okay. Well, I'll... I'll uh, but again, I emphasize that's just speculation because I haven't seen the complaint. Right. I appreciate that. So we'll delay this uh, the, the question until the, or your next visit. I hope you'll come back. <laughs> okay. It'll give me time to think of a good answer. Yeah. And you, you can always do what I say. When people say to me, what was the toughest interview you've ever done? I always say all of them. <laughs> I was going to say this one. Except for this one. <laughs> Thank you. I enjoy talking to you. Thanks for having me. All the best. Professor Stephen Legomsky on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, Chief Counsel of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services in the Obama administration. Give you a little bit of the perspective from the other side of the Donald Trump position. When we come back, it's time for the beauties. Catherine Swift, the most powerful woman in Canada. Linda Leatherdale and Michelle Simpson, the former seatmate to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau.